Welcome to Creative Place, the podcast for creative placemakers. I'm your host, Andrea Orlando. Evaluation. It may be the least favorite but necessary task that creative collaborators perform, but it doesn't have to be. What if you could design evaluations that are fun, equitable, and integral to decision-making right at the get-go? Listen into a webinar we recorded on April 21st at the height of the coronavirus pandemic. You'll hear from David Pankratz, an instructor in the Certificate in Creative Placemaking program at the New Hampshire Institute of Art and Design at New England College. He's on the steering committee for the Cultural Research Network and recently retired as Research and Policy Director for the Greater Pittsburgh Arts Council. Listen in. Welcome, everybody. You are now in uh, the webinar entitled Aligning Planning and Evaluation in Creative Placemaking. My name is Andrea Orlando. I'm Community Director at the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking. And with us here right now uh, from the NCC team are Leonardo Vasquez, uh, Founding Director, and Christine Leslie, uh, community Building Associate. And I will introduce our guest host, David Pankratz. He teaches with a Certificate in Creative Placemaking program. And until his recent retirement, he was Research and Policy Director for the Greater Pittsburgh Arts Council. So welcome, David. It's good to be with you. Thank you. So I will take it for now from here. Some, uh, again, uh, welcome all of you. Really delighted to be with all of you here today. Um, as for introductions, I don't think we'll go around. We've got a lot to cover today. So, uh, but if you're inclined to uh, do a little self-introduction in the chat feature down below uh, in the chat. And just wanted to lay out um, the flow of things here today. One, we wanted to talk about the context, the shifting context of creative placemaking during and in the aftermath of the COVID-19 crisis. It's something that the consortium is doing in most of its programming. And I wanted to turn back to Andrea, Andrea to talk a little bit about that, uh, if you could, please. Sure. We are pivoting to assisting the creative placemaking community in discovering how it can uh, help communities heal, recover, and continue to be resilient. We strongly believe that there is a wellspring of creativity in the community. And our first goal actually is to know what's happening out there. So I'm listening to this webinar with great interest because it's gonna help me as I begin to collect data. Yeah, and, and all sorts of contexts are, are shifting and we'll actually uh, get into that as we go through the uh, rest of the program today. And next after, and we'll uh, hear from you for the next 20 minutes after I'm done uh, talking for a little bit here and then turn it back to me to really talk about some core concepts in planning and evaluation. We're gonna to try to cover a lot, won't be able to cover too much in great depth, but we have lots of uh, 
resources at the end of the webinar and then also uh, Andrea is going to share my email address so if you have any questions afterwards uh, offline you want to pose uh, feel free to do that and then finally uh, throughout uh, me talking about uh, core concepts uh, you'll have opportunity in the chat room again to uh, pose uh, questions that Andrea We'll go through and then, I guess, uh, on occasion, open up your mic to, uh, to share those uh, with all of us. So that's it for now. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Andrea. Yeah. So uh, we just have a couple of ground rules. I'm going to keep your mics muted just to keep things uh, flowing more easily. I invite you to ask questions in the chat. We have 30, at least 30 participants right now. So, you know, please know that we're recording this and we're going to share the recording with you as well as David's contact information. So please don't be offended if I don't present your, the question that you asked in the chat. I'll do my best. But please know that you can, you're always invited to keep the conversation going with one of us or David. And uh, for those of you who are joining by phone, we will have a period where we'll open up the mics so that you can ask your question by voice. And Excellent. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So really now's the time to hear from you initially in the chat. And three key questions I hope we as a group can, uh, can address for the next 20 minutes here. One being, how will the COVID-19 crisis shape your future creative placemaking planning? Why don't I give you all a couple of moments, if you can, to type some suggestive ideas in, your, in the chat, and Andrea will be call on you once we have some content to work with. Sure, sure. People are telling us where they're from. We have somebody from Brooklyn, Maryland, North Carolina. You're running in place, aren't you, Andrea? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so, yeah, don't feel rushed, but, you know, any initial thoughts you have about how you expect uh, your creative placement or creative placemaking work and planning will will change in light of what we're all going through. Yeah. Shout out to Athens, Greece. Oh, lovely. Yes. <laughs> Chattanooga, Tennessee. Canada, Ottawa. Okay. I think we have some questions. Okay, great. So, so we have switching away from large-scale events in the near future, heading towards virtual and online content, looking towards public art and creative placemaking for content. We have an evaluator who's thinking a lot about how evaluating evaluation principles can contribute to planning questions. You're in the right place today. Yeah, so we have at least one other evaluator, researcher. Other thoughts on the question? Aha, uh -huh, I see one. Lots of canceled events. That is a theme. I also saw one about uh, intersections between... Yeah. Uh, placemaking and health going forward. Yes. That will be a sub-theme today. How our placemaking, we're kind of inherently cross-sector, but uh, maybe even more so, uh, 
more encouragement along those lines and health seems an obvious way in which we might bring our assets to that issue. Yeah. Others? So we have somebody who is putting a planned live jazz concert online, South Africa. That, that's interesting. Uh, I'm sure you're in your communities are aware of arts organizations in your community, but also kind of national organizations uh, uh, shifting to a lot of online uh, content. It's, uh, it's interesting, those who have the capacity to do that and maybe other organizations who may not. So uh, there's perhaps a question of access and who's being able to uh, share at least some content meantime uh, via online but yeah there's a lot going on yeah there's a there's question a, i just saw a provocative question how do you create place online mm -hmm. that's a good one don't look to me though i don't know well i'm not sure i know the answer do others want to take that one on how do you create a sense of place online Oh, that was an excellent question. Yeah, so taking taking answers in the chat too now. Oh, people are very good. Well, let's see. Let's see what we come up with. <laughs> okay. We have another question about funding. Oh, we'll get to that. Okay, all right. A little bit. Anybody about how to, how to generate a sense of place online? Any um, others? Go I ahead. I have a suggestion about creating a sense of place online. Uh, I recently participated in a virtual retreat with a travel group that typically does meetups of people for a month to explore the creative landscape of the city. They're called Unsettled. And what they did instead of hosting the, um, the creative meetups uh, abroad was to use a combination of Zoom calls um, that we would have twice a week, and then also host a, an environment on Slack that created opportunities for people to self-organize around coffee dates, around um, checking out and sharing one another's work. There was a conversational thread around health and fitness, just really trying to create a lot of social surface area for people to still gather in between the kind of scheduled um, sessions that we would do via Zoom. Create social surface surface area via technology. I like that. Uh, thanks for that contribution, Meg. You have another, Andrea, or we? I was thinking we might go to the next question. I think we could. Uh, well, we had somebody just. Uh, simply say content has to be sincere, but it can still be virtual. How about outcomes? Are there, uh, are there new or different outcomes that you expect you'll be pursuing in light of the changing context we're all in? As you notice, these are sort of evaluation questions, but it's uh, to kind of get thinking along these lines in light of the um, situation we're all in. Any outcomes, new outcomes you're anticipating? Trying different things, reaching new audiences, hoping for certain different kinds of change going forward. 
Oh, uh, so we have a suggestion to make people feel comfortable in their community when they gather. Could, uh, could the person, could you unmike that person uh, and maybe encourage them to go on a little bit more about that? Sure, let me find, just give me a moment to find them. Uh, you have such an amazing response. I found, I found myself it was easier. <laughs> okay, okay, great. Um, to elaborate, I, I just mean, even when we're allowed to get back out in, and gather in large groups, how can we make our, our people feel comfortable when they gather together? I work for the auditorium at UNCW, at the Office of the Arts, so you know, we're already thinking about how we can implement new strategies in our theater to make people feel comfortable, even when they say that they can gather again. I know there's going to be a time. And not just that, but in community spaces as well, um, outside the university. So I, I don't know the answer either, but I think that's just another outcome we might be thinking about. I think it's certainly on the minds of theaters and auditoriums with a very close proximity and anticipating people's being nervous about such close contact, but also affects public spaces that we all might work in as well, where it's not necessarily as close together, but uh, it could be and assuring publics uh, that there's safety there and social distancing uh, practices will probably continue for a while as well. So how that changes the design of our program. Is there another outcome, uh, Andrea? Yes, Vivian said focusing even on social capital may be opening up also the discussion on systemic change via the arts and culture. Uh, I would love to hear from Vivian uh, on what she means. We're actually going to touch on that a little bit uh, later on, but please let's get the conversation going if you could, Vivian. Sure. Uh, Vivian, I just unmuted you. Thank you very much. Hello from Athens. Uh, it has been a it has been a long discussion actually because we also don't know exactly the answer. But it seems that we're trying to shift, uh, let's say, the focus from the hardware uh, more to the software. So how people can interact, how they can be empowered. Of course, we have to need to take into account uh, technological literacy, access to the sources for connecting right now. And so, for instance, uh, a project that I was about to begin was with elderly with dementia here in Greece, where it's difficult. So we're trying to find for alternatives to engage with them in these circumstances. And about systemic change, um, of course, it, it, it might have to get a little bit political here, uh, talking about how governance is uh, involved in that, uh, this kind of aspects. I, I don't know if you can still hear me. I think I'm having some connection problems. We heard you. I heard you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Indeed. Okay, and maybe the, to the, unless you think otherwise, Andrea, maybe to the last of our uh, discussion questions to get things going. Uh, what challenges or and or opportunities, whether it be in funding and program design and partnering, do you anticipate both as I say, challenges and opportunities. Again, take a moment and share what your thoughts might be along those lines. I think we anticipated some 
in earlier responses, but maybe the discussion has generated even more thoughts. Nothing at the moment. Nothing, nothing at the moment. No, are you seeing anything in Pitts in the Pittsburgh area? Oh, put me yeah. on the spot. Yeah. Well, I think one of the challenges is for individual artists and many creative placemaking uh, projects are artist led and they of course have uh, particularly challenging circumstances these days in terms of uh, may not um, be uh, eligible for a small business or um, nonprofit loan but uh, strictly through unemployment but there have been several efforts in our locale for online fundraising for a special fund for artists uh, uh, since they have you know as um, gig workers and usually have several gigs, uh, particularly in sectors that uh, are negatively affected these days as well. So my old arts council has done a lot along those lines to uh, say, well, maybe this, you know, just as the whole virus situation has focused attention on marginalized communities, maybe it can also be a way to uh, focus on artists and all that they do for us and how much we need to support them uh, as well in this uh, this time of need. So there's been a lot of rallying and collective action to help uh, artists in our community. Yes, and, and we have sort of a combination question and, and answer to your last question here. Corey Bessie is curious to know if there is a need for shared services if uh, a need for shared services will arise as organizations try to heal. We're going to talk a little bit about efficiency as well, but uh, in a resource-strapped era perhaps coming up, uh, the way you can uh, stretch dollars by creative partnering may be um, uh, more commonplace going forward. I saw somebody say they were the recipient of a, a local arts council grant that has been helpful to them during this time. Well, I, I appreciate everyone's contributions here. I think we've uh, set the stage a little bit for what we're doing going forward. And uh, thanks for sharing what you have. So for the next, oh, 15, 20 minutes, uh, I'm afraid it's just going to be me chatting away here and trying to cover uh, quite a bit in the, these 15 to uh, 20 minutes. But again, if as I say something, I'm not clear, or maybe haven't gone in as much depth as you would like, just pose the question in the chat. Well, we have 20 minutes at the end to uh, return back to questions, or if we don't get to it, Andrew will send those to me and I can reply to you individually if that's helpful but anyway so anybody know that sculpture it's in phoenix arizona a nice public art uh, project from a vacation we went to but um wanted to sort of a little bit of my i don't know not editorializing really but why i think planning and evaluation in the creative making uh creative placemaking field will be important going
think certainly, as it always is, buy-in with, uh, with community, with partners, with stakeholders will be important. You can generate that through uh, good planning, but also kind of a, con- a, a commitment to continuous improvement, learning as you go. Again, with resources strapped, uh, really generating learning and stretching dollars by uh, monitoring how well you're doing, I think will be important. We've already touched on this a little bit, uh, cross-sector partnering and collective action. I I expect anyways uh, that there will be an even greater emphasis on that. And that frankly, uh, those in creative placemaking have a lot of skills and experience to bring to that uh, going forward. And we've already heard about uh, different kinds of cross-sector partnerships with health, but uh, can be with all sorts of other nonprofits and uh, public agencies, those kinds of things. I think there will be also a stress on documentation of impact. People will want to know, sponsors, funders, et cetera, uh, what's been achieved uh, in the project going forward. And those projects in a position to be able to answer those questions um, will be in, uh, in better shape. Another thing I think also effectiveness. Uh, funders and sponsors will want to know what works. They will want some documentation that uh, things have turned out at least uh, to a large degree as uh, as anticipated. But also efficiency. We mentioned that earlier. That uh, I think there will be attention to wise use of uh, resources. That. Resources are necessary, but um, minimal waste, let's say. And also justice. And again, that's something the current situation has laid bare about marginalized communities and uh, the degree to which those are addressed in projects going forward, I think, will be important. And then finally, another thing is shared learning for funders and grantees. And the in the bad old days of evaluation, it was, you know, uh, proved that you used our money uh, wisely to funders and just an accountability uh, kind of thing. It's less that these days, hopefully, and certainly is with some enlightened funders. It's really a mutual learning opportunity that you as a placemaker kind of can learn what's what's working what's not if you have a good plan and evaluation strategy but then also grantors grant grantees uh or i'm sorry funders will know what works hmm that's interesting maybe we should uh, change our criteria next time in light of what we're learning so a a two-way street of learning rather than just sort of one-way accountability and hopefully that will develop as we go forward. So um, the, the title of this was alignment of uh, aligning planning and evaluation. So the question is why? Well, it's not rocket science. It's really kind of common sense. The idea that when you're devising a project, really starting with the end point, what is the change that you and your partners and constituents and participants hope to achieve, and then work backward from there. We know what we want to achieve, but what do we need to get there and to be able to uh, uh, do the project 
well. But in saying that, you also see the words adaptive, nimble, and flexible there. The idea is not to be locked in or a straitjacket. Uh, plans are wonderful. Anticipating outcomes is important. But after all, things change. Circumstances change. Personnel change. Maybe there are more participants than you anticipated. Maybe you have a, a new influx of funds that you didn't uh, anticipate. So it is important to be adaptive to that, not uh, you know, it, uh, to jettison your initial plan, but uh, massage it and learn in light of changed uh, circumstances. So it's important to um, both have a plan, but also be nimble as well. So a little bit about planning. There are lots of different kinds of planning tools. And while you, again, need to be nimble and such, planning is still quite important. So it's important to kind of establish a baseline where you're starting from, but also what are our gaps, who's not being served, what are needs out there, those kinds of things. So these are just a few uh, planning tools I'll, I'll mention uh, for now. One I think is quite important is uh, community histories and patterns of investment or disinvestment. What's the social history of the uh, neighborhood you might be working with or the constituency? Has there been disinvestment in that community? Has there been redlining? Is there a lack of essential services to is there lack of um, uh, pipelines to decision makers uh, in those neighborhoods really trying to get a sense of that uh, when possible also needs assessment what it is your targeted population want and what they say they need whether that's in terms of artistic experience but also influence in their community new resources a sense of communal meaning, those kinds of things. And that can be developed through surveys, through interviews, through community meetings, and review of public documents as well. Then there's asset mapping and cultural mapping. Asset ma mapping is kind of complementary to needs assessment, but the focus there is on strengths uh, you find with who you're working with, the people, the talent and skills that are there, the physical ass assets, a sense of maybe neighborhood identity, youth uh, whose potential has been untapped perhaps. But then also there's cultural mapping that is helpful as well. What's already there in terms of cultural organizations, public art, uh, other nonprofits that you can work with, um, artists, uh, stories, kind of community stories, networks, places, funds, public agencies, those kinds of things, to really understand the environment and the context that you're working in. Also, it's important to understand kind of power relations, who holds uh, the power in, uh, in these communities, is it developed other neighborhood uh, organizations, etc., to really be able to um, analyze all of that. There are other, uh, a few other tools I'll mention. Values clarification and conflict resolution. Uh, I could really go into this, but just a little bit. It's basically the idea that sometimes values don't work in harmony, and how do you balance those values and 
priorities and desired outcomes and how to achieve a balance with, for example, you want to preserve aspects of a neighborhood, and then also you want innovative solutions. Where's the balance there? Also maintain cultural traditions that might be in a, uh, a neighborhood and also fostering new forms of, of creativity, those kinds of things. So those are challenges to work out in planning phases as well. And also there's data. I won't go into this too much, but sometimes uh, people only think of data as what they can gather from a survey or a community meeting and those kinds of things, all very important. But there's a lot of interesting data sitting out there that's gathered for other purposes. Uh, for example, the census, the American Community Survey, uh, National Center for Charitable Statistics. Uh, I suspect some of you know SMU Data Arts has a lot of information on arts and cultural organizations in a, uh, in a community. You can write in chat if, if you've had experience uh, with them and it can be a great resource. And then also there's large data sets uh, collected periodically. I don't know if any of you have gone to the NEA's Survey of Public Participation in the Arts. It's really a, a wonderful resource that says all sorts of things about how people interface uh, with the arts and a lot, lot more information these days and how they do through technology. So if you're transitioning to that kind of program delivery, there might be interesting clues for you to work with there. Then also other kinds of secondary data are more local. Some of you may have communities who have um, done like a cultural vitality index or a cultural plan or economic impact studies. Uh, we in Pittsburgh uh, did a, something we called culture counts, which measured how well our community, our arts sector was doing on issues of equity and accessibility and generating public value of the arts and arts education. So those are more specialized studies. So those uh, can be good sources of information for planning as well. And then also document review. Lots of annual reports, budgets, community plans, histories that can uh, give you clues as to who you're working with and how you might do so. Two final things, primary data, which I mentioned earlier, that goes with opinions and levels of satisfaction and preferences and attitudes. Uh, and again, through uh, surveys and, in, uh, and interviews. Often, too, I think more and more planners are using kind of initial creative projects to get people maybe to write uh, stories about themselves or their communities or, or create a, um, a mural or things like that that can be really very helpful in generating information about a community who you might be working with. And then finally, sort of, so I went through a lot of data sources there, uh, thanks for your patience, but uh, uh, I'm now going to qualify that and say that I'm more of a data-informed fellow than data-driven. Uh, data-driven, one hears that a lot out there. It's not my favorite way of, of how one thinks of data. It doesn't, data doesn't tell you really what to do, but what might be feasible, what might be possible, then any sort of data has to be interpreted through values, 
through aspiration. So I prefer the, the term data informed versus data driven. I'm sure I would get pushed back on that from some folks, but there it is for now. And if you want to push back on the chat, uh, please do. So, so we have a lot of data. What do we do with it all? Well, these are some, uh, some planning frameworks uh, going forward. And certainly if you don't have a project with a large scope of work, you may not need all these kinds of uh, data, although some might be, uh, might be helpful. But those can all go into some frameworks, and here are a couple of them. A theory of change, I suspect many of you have come across that. It's basically kind of the underlying premises of a project, how it is you think it will work and what, what will uh, be necessary for it, uh, it to succeed. Uh, for example, you, uh, you posit that a participatory multi-generational community art project will change perceptions in the community between younger and older residents, an underlying theory of change. It doesn't get too specific. But what, what are the premises you're, you're working under? Next is a logic model. And again, there's more in the resources about that. But it really sets out you know, what your goals and objectives are, what resources you bring. And that can be funds, that can be personnel, that can be physical resources. Also, what kinds of activities that you would be doing with the groups you're working with, and how all of those can lead outcomes, uh, achievements of your project that are also measurable and indicate that you've been successful. Again, that's just a summary. There's more that we can get into in our question period as well. And I think, too, it's also important, again, this is sort of a variation on what I said earlier, but a key concept, I think, in planning is distributed leadership as well as equity frameworks basically sharing leadership with among uh, stakeholders, among partners, among those that you're going to be working with. Nobody wants a project that you're doing at somebody or on somebody. They're not uh, uh, experiments. Uh, it's something with people that's meeting needs, that has feedback loops from those who are working on it. And also to do it in an equity equitable way. If there's distributed leadership, multiple voices, and opportunities for those to be heard, that can be done in an equitable kind of way. Talking about uh, outcomes uh, for feedback and course correction, certainly as with plans, defining outcomes uh, collectively with a group um, is uh, important, especially those uh, who are you're hoping to affect through the program. And outcomes can be short-term, namely, uh, hmm, we've got uh, uh, people signing up for it. They seem their initial satisfaction is high. It's important to have short-term outcomes that uh, you can say, hey, we're on the right course. If things are going well, you can communicate those and motivate participants also you're in an environment where you want to publicize what's going well, capturing short-term outcomes can be important for that. There's also midterm outcomes for kind of taking stock. How are we really doing? 
going back to that logic model is and also being nimble is of course correction needed now what are participants saying does it seem like we don't have enough personnel to meet the needs of all the participants are we short on something we need a new mix of activities and resources and then certainly long term what at the end of the project has been achieved and what are the lingering effects those can be difficult and especially if you want to know what long term after the project effects are but uh, there are ways to do that and get back in touch with participants as well i'm going to wrap up here pretty shortly uh, andrea oh yes types of outcomes uh, basically it's a question of who benefits and how and these are a few categories community capacities and empowerment maybe that was an outcome that you wanted to uh, have the uh, people you're working with feel more empowered more in charge and that they have maybe new capacities for community organizing that you have better partnerships uh, working together more transparent uh, negotiated uh, strategies playing to the strengths of different partners there are aesthetic outcomes and this is again is in the resources at the back of this uh, powerpoint a great publication by americans for the arts called aesthetic attributes and this is kind of uh, outcomes related to the arts of social change that i think is very much relevant to place making things like uh, communal meaning, uh, risk-taking, and I won't go into all of that, but it's an, an excellent resource. And another AFTA, Americans for the Arts resource, is called Continuum of Impact, and they lay out social and economic and community development outcomes, everything from civic engagement to job growth to community empowerment and, and those kinds of things. And then finally, there are categories often uh, that outcomes can be divided into knowledge, whether people know something that they didn't uh, know before, discourse, maybe they communicate in, in different ways, attitudes, how they feel about their community and those in their community, capacity, maybe there are new skills, maybe new talents that have surfaced as a result of your project, action, that maybe there's more community action to uh, advocate and lobby for changed conditions in a community. But also, as was said earlier, systems changes as well that uh, maybe um, input into community decision-making is changed as a result of your project, that neighborhood residents are consulted more uh, in systemic decisions going forward. So that can be another type of outcome. Indicators and measurements of change. It's important, um, and one doesn't want to get too whole hog with uh, quantitative measures, but it's good to have some that are specific and achievable and measurable. For example, 75% of respondents showed improved attitudes about the capacities of the neighborhood's young people. You know, that's pretty straightforward. Attitudes have improved it's about uh, young people. So whenever you can devise a measurement or an indicator of change, 
try to make it as specific as possible, which is to say you don't merely want low-hanging fruit. In other words, an outcome, oh, X many people showed up. That doesn't tell you too much. It's maybe that it was popular, but what changes in people's attitudes or capacities uh, occurred. But at the same time, you don't want to be overly ambitious with your indicators that are going to change the world. One needs to be realistic and proportionate to uh, what your um, actual uh, project is. And sharing results. I don't know if your projects that you generate reports or not, whether they're public or for funders, but in any case, if you do, I always think it's important to uh, also make room for the voices of partners, of participants, of other community members in sharing results, not only in the voices that might be in a report, but actually maybe if there's a public gathering to sum up what was achieved during the project to have room for all of those audiences uh, to uh, to speak and share what they've um, they've experienced, but also then uh, uh, participatory communication. I think it's always very important to involve those who have uh, been in the project, who have participated, who have been partners, and that can often be with kind of on-site demonstrations or visits to project sites with uh, inviting media and funders to actually communicate with project uh, uh, participants to hear what they've experienced firsthand. Well, that's it for me. Uh, I can breathe now. I, I hope I didn't uh, overwhelm uh, folks with uh, too many questions, but now I guess we will turn in too much information, but again, there are lots of resources at the end of this uh, that you can reference. But again, if you'd like me to go in-depth, in uh, please um, contact me with the email that uh, Andrea will provide, and I can go into further depth uh, accordingly if I've just touched on something of particular interest to you. But in the meantime, we have some time for questions and answers. And what are we hearing? Uh, Andrea? Well, I am looking at the chat and what I'd like to do now is unmute everybody so that you can take voice questions. We just ask everybody to be mindful that if there's a lot of background noise, if you could remute yourself. You know, I uh, was thinking as you were talking about short-term outcomes, Yes. about how, especially at a time like this, I've been thinking a lot about how it's important to um, and celebrate the incremental changes. Yeah, you know, one way people talk about it is early wins. You know, yeah. And, uh, that you can share those, and that's motivating for participants. It, maybe you want to have some more public visibility for what you're doing. Communicating those can be important. So, uh, Alicia Anderson is asking. I see that. Yeah, she'd love to hear more about analyzing and sharing data with an equity framework. Very good. I could pass the buck and uh, suggest that you um, read a lot of what the uh, Kresge Foundation has written about it, but they too do a very good job. And it's in the resources, but um, 
there's a section on their website that talks about measurement and evaluation from an equity framework. Okay. And it's, I think the, um, just to encapsulate, it's a matter of involving those affected in a project, not just with answering questions that you might have come up with, but also to devise questions. And, and again, if equity framework has been used throughout, those participants have helped to define what the outcomes are themselves and what success looks like. So it's really a matter of thinking about those who you're trying to affect as being key in all stages of planning and evaluation. And certainly Kresge Foundation has a particular emphasis as well on underserved communities, on marginalized populations, and really about very much countering uh, the lingering effects of uh, structural inequality. And uh, they have a lot of good materials on that. So I would recommend that um, as a, a great source. Yeah, and uh, Leo is asking in the chat, who should be involved in deciding what to evaluate and how? That's a good question, um, Leo. Where are you from? No, no, I know that. Um, <laughs> but, well, I think as much as possible, there, there's a model that it, maybe I didn't talk about too much, a little bit, though, participatory evaluation. So, let me see. I'll, I'll use an example of something we did in Pittsburgh. We did a study looking at cultural funding in Pittsburgh from an equity framework, namely where the funds going? Is it going to largely Western European? What are some of the structures that are keeping those practices in place? What's inhibiting change going forward? But in doing all of that work, we had a, I guess, minority majority advisory group. And it wasn't just, you know, giving David the researcher advice throughout, but it really was how do we define, how do we envision what a more successful and a more equitable funding system in Pittsburgh would be. But also even down to the level of collecting data, the issue there was that a lot of data wasn't categorized by race. We would get figures from funders about how much funds they doled out to different organizations, but then we worked with the uh, committee to even get down to defining how to define different racial and ethnic groups and went over all sorts of different uh, definitions and all and came up with those that we thought made sense that would apply for this project. I raise that only in that there are opportunities to involve a range of audiences at all sorts of uh, stages of planning and evaluation. And again, as I just said, in terms of uh, sharing results, able to uh, involve people who've been in the project as 
if possible, uh, if not spokespeople, but at least with an open mic to, to talk to uh, media people and funders as well so that they can get a real sense of what difference your project might have made on the ground. Enough of that. I'm going to keep my answers shorter henceforth. Ellie T. is asking, her community does not have an asset map resource. What kind of organization would be in the best position to create one? That's a good one. So I'm gathering in saying that you don't have a local arts council, correct? So I'm, I'm going to assume, unless you tell me otherwise, that you don't have an arts council. Yeah, Perhaps. I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, I can't, I can't say. And if they do, they I don't think they have a resource like that. Well, for example, I had a very small shop in, in Pittsburgh doing research and evaluation here, but a lot of strategic use of interns. I don't know if you have a source that way. If you don't necessarily have that uh, resource in place already, that's that can be a great project working in collaboration with an intern or oh, we have an arts management program here in Pittsburgh and they do uh, group projects as well that um, can you know, look at all sorts of information resources about what's there, reach out to community with community meetings to uh, assess needs, go through grant lists to get a sense of what nonprofits are out there and who are getting money for what purposes. So it's not, it can be time consuming and with any kind of project, I listed lots of ways to gather information. It may not be necessary or feasible <laughs> to do all of those, but um, you might, uh, but there are ways to to work around limitations, and that's one uh, by uh, working with students has been, but also community groups as well, too. We would work with um, community members, even high school students who might have a particular ear, the ground of a uh, community that they're from and work in, who can be a, a great asset along those lines as well. Hope that helps a little. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Others? Well, you know, this isn't the end of the conversation. It's hopefully just the beginning and we'll all stay in touch. You know, for those of you who joined late, we are recording this entire webinar and uh, we'll be sending you the recording as well as the slides and links to helpful information. I know some people. Maria, don't you have a good uh, question? I see you down there. No, there's so much to think about. I'm <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you so much for this. Yeah, a little, little overwhelming maybe, but um, and again, I think these are kind of top of mind things. And I tried to phrase them in ways that were kind of commonsensical, more so than than overly technical and such. But if depending on how uh, deep you want to dive, some of those resources. I think are strong. And there are even others that we go into. I sort of teach a class on all of this for the uh, placemaking certificate that some of you may know about. And we get into kind of designing a, uh, a logic model and developing a theory of change and, uh, and those kinds of technical things. But for today, more to 
get you thinking about some options and more to uh, glad to uh, follow up with any of you however uh, I can. Well, thanks for the nice compliment, Tamara. <laughs> mm -hmm. where, where are you from? I, I know your name. Uh, from okay. Albany, New York. Upstate. Okay. Were you in the certificate program? I was, yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the logic model and the theory of change. I thought it was a really neat way to think about um, evaluation um, more than kind of what you were talking about, like the data-driven, more you know, data-informed, and it approached it from so many different angles. So it was neat. Yeah. Well, if you watch the evening news tonight, you'll certainly hear about people saying data-driven, but. Uh, but since uh, <laughs> that doesn't seem to be uh, the way of the world these days, data informed is good. You have to balance data with values and aspirations and interpret them. That's, that's my point of view anyways, but um, I'm glad that uh, was helpful in any case. Hey, do you, do you want to tease them with the uh, resources page? As you say, that will be available shortly. Yes, uh, yeah, by the end of today or tomorrow, by the end of today, East Coast. Where, where'd my email go? Uh, we'll be sending your emails uh, to all registrants. Okay, so they can't email me right away, uh, <laughs> but uh, feel free. Should I, put it in the, should I put it in the chat? Oh, that would be great. It's, it's a long one, people, and I often misspell my own, and I'm a slow typist. But. And while you're doing that, I'll invite Leo Vasquez to talk about his upcoming webinar. Thank you, Andrea. And, and before we do that, let's, let's give a big round of applause to, to David and Andrea. Just go down to the reactions section okay. at the bottom and uh, give it a little clap sign. Okay. All right, Excellent. Nine. Thank you. It always means so much more when you have to solicit it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only because people don't, you know, a lot of people don't know that it's there. Oh, so, yeah, oh and also, that's uh, it. Also, claps to Christine, who is grace under pressure. As, as sadly predicted, I did misspell my name. <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll get it out to everybody. David. So thank you all for being here. So, so many people. I just want to let you know on May 5th, um, I'll be doing the, our next Creative Plus Making Leadership webinar. It's gentrification, a four-dimensional problem. Now, we often talk about gentrification as a housing issue, uh, but we'll be exploring the cultural dimension, commercial dimension, and environmental dimensions of gentrification, as well as ways to explore, to evaluate, and to plan to minimize the negative effects of gentrification. I hope you'll be able to join us. That'll be May 5th at 2 p.m. Eastern. And we'll be sending the link to register for, for that one as well. And I did put my correct spelling in the last uh, message uh, for those who need it, but I know it will be coming out shortly from Andrea as well. So look forward to hearing from some of you. And don't be shy. I'm retired. I don't have much to do, so I, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer answer your questions and long past little ones and things like that. So you know, I, I enjoy the the chat 
well, with that, uh, we'll, we'll say goodbye. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to see you and hear from you again. Thanks. Bye, Bye everybody. listening to Creative Place, produced by the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking. Have an idea for our next podcast or webinar? Find us at cpcommunities.org. Bye for now.